What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Only the most broken people. Can be great leaders. His people do not call him General or King. They called him Kukul Khan, the Feather Serpent God, killing him will risk eternal war. He's coming for the surface world. What you whisper. They have lost their protector. Now is our time to strike. Show them. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, and the story is as follows. Queen Ramonda, Shuri, M'Baku, Okoye, and Nador Milaje fight to protect their nation from intervening world powers in the wake of King T'Challa's death. As the Wakandans strive to embrace their next chapter, the heroes must band together with Nakia and Everett Ross to forge a new path for their beloved kingdom. The film is starring Letitia Wright, Lupita Nyong'o, Denai Guerrero, Winston Duke, Florence Kasumba, Dominique Dorn, Michaela Cole, Tanakh Huerta, Martin Freeman, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Angela Bassett. It is written and directed by Ryan Coogler, co-written by Joe Robert Cole. And here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Sarah Clements. Hello. Tom O'Brien. Hi, everybody. And Josh Parham. Hello, hello. So we are here today to talk about one of the most anticipated sequels of 2022 to one of the biggest movies of all time, a cultural phenomenon when it released in 2018, Black Panther crushed all box office expectations, 
going on to become the first superhero film to be nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture and winning three Oscars in the process for costume design, production design, and Best Original Score. Ryan Coogler had such high expectations placed upon it to deliver a sequel, and unfortunately tragedy struck in the aftermath of Chadwick Boseman's death. And, you know, I, I feel so bad for everybody involved because obviously he was so beloved by his uh fellow cast members, crew members, and really just just an immense loss, uh, completely given how young he was still, and being the face of this property, and doing such a great job, too, in the first film that Ryan Coogler essentially had to throw away the original script that they had written and find a way to respectfully uh, work in the passing of Chadwick Boseman into this sequel. How were they going to address it? And how was it going to impact the characters moving forward while also introducing a new antagonist and pushing everything forward in the MCU as phase four comes to a close? It's a very, very daunting task and one that I just wholly respect them for being able to pull off. Now, of course, reactions to the movie have you know been I wouldn't say all over the place. I think they are leading more positive than negative. But, you know, the question of, oh, is it better than the first film? Is it just as good? That's what we're going to dive into a lot here and discussing uh, what areas of the movie are an improvement and what areas do they necessarily fall short in. And then also, of course, we'll have a spoiler section at the end here. So for those that are worried about spoilers, don't worry. We got you covered. We'll discuss all of that when we get later into the review. With all that out of the way, let's dive in here. Josh Parham, we'll start off with you. What did you think of Black Panther Wakanda Forever? Well, to first sort of set the stage for my thoughts leading into the movie before I even saw it, I think most people know I'm not the biggest MCU fan. Like, the movies are fine, but for the most part, like, they just don't really indulge me and what I like out of movies. If you do love them, great, but they just don't normally work for me. One of the few exceptions of that is the first Black Panther, though. I think that is far and away the best movie in this franchise. I think it feels pretty standalone and has a good story and great performances. I I think, like, that to me is their best movie, and then everything else is a very distant second. So, when it came to a sequel, I was both excited for it and also nervous about it because trying to follow up your best movie can be very daunting. And especially with the circumstances, as we said, that kind of really put it into a very difficult situation in terms of trying to make this movie. That was also kind of nerve wracking. Also, the production problems that we kind of maybe have forgotten about. It was a long time to, of a joke being out there that this movie may not even come out. And so. We're finally here. And ultimately, my opinion is that I did like it, but I do not think it's as good as the first movie. I do think that it is a step down. Uh, There are some things in here that I think it actually does do better than the first movie. I think across the board, the performances are they were still good in the first movie, but I think everybody actually ups their game in this one. Um, So I did really like what this cast was doing. And I think some of these set pieces are even better executed than they were in the first. I think the ultimate issues that I have with this movie, though, is that one, this does feel like it's very bloated, which the first movie didn't really have as much. This one feels like it is stuffed with a lot of things that are connecting back to other Marvel properties, and it forces it to just become more indulgent in the storytelling, and I wasn't as invested in it as the first time. and. 
I will get into this more later, but I, I don't know if I completely also agree with how they decided to proceed with T'Challa's death in the actual narrative. I, I think that actually is another issue that I have with the overall storytelling, which, again, I'll get into later. But I do, I do think the narrative itself is not as strong as the first movie was, and that is a detriment. Still enjoyed it. I still think it's very entertaining, and there's some really great moments in it, but definitely, in my opinion, a step down from the first film. Okay. Sarah Clements, how about you? It was a really emotional experience for me, and not just for me, but also I could tell that most of the people in my packed IMAX theater were feeling, you know, the monumental loss of Chadwick Boseman, and the film is a beautiful ode to him and his character, and I can't remember if there's ever been a time where a film was essentially like bringing us all together to collectively grieve over somebody. And what makes that experience more impactful is the fact that the characters in the film are not only mourning another character, but the actors themselves are, you know, mourning a friend. And so their emotions feel so much more raw and real, which makes the whole experience how much more affecting and special. Um, I love the film's themes of family, love, loss, and the effects of grief and how it all sort of leads us to meeting the film's villain, Namor. Um, I can't wait to see more of him and his gorgeous underwater world. That was probably my favorite sort of design aspect of the film. I also love the introduction of Ironheart, who brought some sort of great comedic moments. Um, And I loved both of their narratives, but that combined with like, you know, the vibranium stuff and Agent Ross and Julia the Redreifus, it all felt like too much. Um, it's very bloated, as Josh said, and it took me out of it a bit. So I think it definitely could have used some trimming. But overall, I loved, you know, the costumes, production design, the action score, the performances, like Josh said, were like way more elevated this time around. Um, I loved most things about it. And I think Ryan Coogler had a great hurdle ahead of him to fill the void that Chadwick Chadwick left. And is it better than the first? No, I would have to agree with Josh. But criticisms aside, you know, in terms of its bloated script, I think he definitely jumped over that hurdle and created something with lasting power. Okie dokie. Let's move over next to Tom O'Brien. Matt, I'd call uh, Wakanda Forever a solid sequel because um, I, I, I like Josh. It's it's probably my favorite film in the MCU. I think Coogler handled the death of Chala uh, with grace and sensitivity and efficiency, really. I mean, we, we It gets introduced in the very first scene and it's dealt with in in full in full for the first 15 minutes or so and then we move on but we never really forget him uh, the the it was the spirit of bozeman is i felt it throughout and that that is a real testament to uh coogler as a director i think that it by necessity lacks that wow factor that you remember when we first saw wakanda in the first film it's like, my God, that's amazing. Well, you know, you can't replicate that. Although the underwater telecon uh, world is very impressive. <laughs> Although having just seen the trailer to Avatar just before the movie started, it's 
it's good, but it's not up to that. But nonetheless, it's still, you know, there was a while there, too. Um, so it, it does be hurt by that. I think it's mostly hurt by some, um, as, the, as Sarah and uh, Josh were talking about, narrative problems. And I think the MCU is a lot more intrusive in this film. Uh, and I wish they just stay out of it. Part of the beauty of the first film was that it was kind of standalone. And now we have other masters to serve in adding things in here, which I think uh, agree that it adds to that two hour and 41 minute runtime. But uh, on the whole, I think it's it's very solid and uh, one of the better sequels, I'd say, to the MCU. Um, but uh, it'd be interesting to see, want, want to get into some of the other problems with it, too. Yeah, so as I was mentioning earlier, I just have so much respect for Ryan Coogler that they were able to pull off a story with this that isn't an outright disaster. Um, I, I think the handling of Bozeman's death uh, in the first 15 minutes, like you said there, Tom, I, I thought it was extremely well done. And then the way that, like you said, his presence kind of lingers over the rest of the film, influencing the characters' emotions and how they are dealing with this new conflict and pushing them forward. That was a thing for me that I really latched onto was the character work and the performances. Now, granted, it's not equal. Uh, some characters get a little bit more development than others. Others are just kind of there to have some fight scenes, provide some one-liners, and then not really do much else. Uh, but I really felt like performances from Letitia Wright, uh, Angela Bassett, uh, Lupita Nyong'o, and also Denai Guerrero, too. Like, like they were just absolutely crushing it, I felt like, in this movie. Uh, and then you have the introduction of Namor. Uh, and I, I, I just think that uh, Tanaka Huerta is just amazing in this role here. I really, really love the, the, the presence and also just the character introduction, the backstory, and then how that conflict is something that I, I, I've seen some people comment on in regards to how it feels very similar to the first film, but I actually kind of like that. I like that, that there was a continuation of themes from the first film in that here are two uh, different races that are not white, and yet they are focusing on hating each other and fighting one another instead of uh, banding together and defeating uh, as, as they say a couple of times in this movie, they're colonizers. Uh, they, they even make jokes about Everett Ross and this about how he's the colonizer and things like that. Uh, but you have the rest of the world looking at Wakanda as a threat constantly because of the use of the vibranium. So they're always looking to get control over that. And then when the possibility arises that the vibranium could lead to the discovery of Telecon, this underwater kingdom, you then also introduce a new conflict here of... Uh, of of Namor wanting to protect his people because their civilization is actually kept a secret from the rest of the world and no one even knows of their existence. And he knows that once they're discovered, uh, they too will also be hunted. Uh, and I, I like the way that the story kind of just weaves in this social uh, racial commentary here of how this, uh, of how the way that like the rest of the world views them as others unknown as dangerous and yet there's also this very personal story that's also going on here too between shuri uh played by Letitia wright and namor and how they conduct themselves both as leaders and also as um characters that are dealing with just situations and issues that are just so big uh in terms of both 
power, uh, in Shuri's case with grief. And I like the way that all of this comes together uh, throughout the movie. Now, it is bloated. <laughs> I will definitely agree with that. At 161 minutes, this movie is... Yep pretty long uh, i think it's i think it's uh, other than infinity war and endgame i think it's the longest mcu film that we've had and just like the first film i i get i people always say that the first film was very standalone and didn't really feel like it was connected as much to the mcu i i think people forget that the inclusion of andy circus's character is like the one exception with the original black panther um and that was my least favorite aspect of the first film too I just wish that they had cut all of that out. Um, same thing here with Martin Freeman. I just didn't feel that any scene with him and Julie Louis-Dreyfus was necessary, and you could have easily have shaved, what, 20 minutes off of this movie? Uh, I just felt like every time that they cut to them, it felt like they were trying to set up the the Thunderbolts uh, you know, Marvel uh, movie or television show. I don't even know what it is at this I point. I was about to say, I have no idea what you just said. And I think <laughs> that is the bigger problem for me is that, yeah, Andy Serkis's character in the first movie definitely is a holdover for from other movies that you would need that context. But I, I ultimately think that on the whole, though, he works still pretty well with establishing at least the stakes and sort of the plot mechanics that you can sort of still understand his purpose, even if you don't exactly know everything about that character. And I still think that movie works. I cannot say the same thing about Martin Freeman and Julia Louis-Dreyfus in this film. Like all of their scenes felt like I needed to have seen many other pieces of content in order to understand what they were even doing here. And like, if you got that fine, I'm sure people are yelling at me and saying I should have watched the shows, but I'm not, <laughs> Not watching the shows. I'm watching the movie. It's not even so much even the shows. It's more so just that it, it always feels like the MCU is always concerned about setting up the next film where I, I feel yeah. like in the early days of the MCU, they were more effective at just having their setups be the post credit sequence and the rest of the movie could just be the movie. You didn't actually need to be so overt. And I, I'll just never forget that sequence in um, Iron Man 2 where the movie kind of like takes a detour for like 10 minutes to bring Samuel L. Jackson in. And I'll, I'll just never forget that happening. Like within the main narrative and thinking to myself, wow, like this is, this feels like so wholly unnecessary to the rest of the plot that we're watching right now. And that was like kind of the first time I ever really noticed it in an MCU film. And it's always just gotten bigger. And in some cases, uh, actually most cases worse, um, I just really hate that they can't let these stories stand on their own. And that's what I think makes for better storytelling overall. Um, I understand that they got to set up the next films and things like that. But I just wish they could just be a little bit more economically efficient with their time in doing so. Uh, because then you wouldn't have these long run times. And then also, too, you wouldn't have people groaning and feeling like the momentum of these uh, stories are constantly being sidetracked for something that they may not even watch anyway because now they've got the stuff on Disney Plus and so many people are still just watching the movies and not watching the Disney Plus shows. I mean, like, the, the Ironheart character. I, I agree with Sarah. I, I really, really like the introduction of this character. I think Dominique Dorn does a really charismatic good job here, but did I really need it to feel like, oh, here's an introduction for this character that... She's a part of the plot, but she doesn't really have much of a yeah. 
character and we're going to just use it as an introduction for her spinoff television series that we're doing. It, mm-hmm. it just, for me, like feels very inefficient when you're trying to tell a story that is dealing with already so, so much. And that's why, too, like I'm kind of amazed that Kugler, Kugler is such a tremendous director because despite the misgivings that I just stated just now and just the juggling of characters, themes, having to uh, increase the production value from the previous film, like I'm just amazed that this movie was decent. (laughs) I really, really am. (laughs) I, I think in some cases it is better than the first film. I'm not saying overall it's better. I do think that the first film is still stronger, but there are certain aspects that I think are better. Like, I, I, I agree with what Josh was saying. I think the performances in this one are just straight up phenomenal across the board. Everyone, including like Angela Bassett. I mean, that throne room scene, the one from the trailer. Ooh. Chills. Oh, yeah. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I think is a real strength of the film, is that the female characters come to the fore. And they mm-hmm. they they carry the entire film. And I haven't seen a action film, whether it's a superhero film or whatever, that have, have really had as big as this is that's carried by their female characters. Well, I mean, I remember the first film like got a lot of praise too for having you know so many strong black women in it. And here, you know, because Chadwick unfortunately is no longer with us. That, that allows for them to be even more front and center than ever before. And I, I really just love how fresh this all still feels to us. I mean, even when we watched something recently like The Woman King, for example, and then seeing this here, it's like, yes, these are the kinds of uh, perspectives and storytelling that like we've never had a chance to like fully see over decades. And yet here they are like now coming out on a more frequent basis. And I'm just loving the freshness of being able to see uh, these types of stories on this type of scale play out in ways that um, we've never had a chance to do so before. Yeah, really did love the dynamics that they introduced with these characters. And while I think the overall storytelling is weaker than it is in the first movie, I did appreciate the showcases that they gave for these characters and for these performances like yeah angela bassett in that throne room sequence like man she just i i dare anybody to watch that scene and just not be just knocked down it it is just an incredible speech that she gives and it really is emotionally affected same thing with the night uh in that role too like also wonderful and I really did love all of the performances. I felt like there really was sort of a step up in quality. And like I said, the first movie has really great performances too, but it, it did feel like most people in this cast understood, like, we got to bring it even harder for this one. I was very appreciative of that. Yeah, I mean, Letitia Wright, regardless of what you think of her, like, personally, I think that over the last couple of years, ever since her breakout role in Black Panther, 
she's just proven herself to be a really phenomenal actress. I mean, if anyone hasn't seen, you know, the small acts uh, films, uh, she was wonderful in that. She was great earlier this year in The Silent Twins. Uh, I feel like every single time I see her pop up on screen, I, I'm just like very captivated by her work overall. And here, just like you said, Josh, there's so much that's asked of her in this film compared to the last one that I, you know, I, I should never have doubted her. But I just I guess I was unsure about how she would carry this movie. And God damn it, she really, really did. <laughs> I think the only times where her performance maybe doesn't seem quite as strong is just down to the writing, because I do agree that she's asked to do a lot more in this movie than in the previous one. And sometimes I feel like what is asked of her does not feel completely natural to the narrative that they're going for. But I, as I said, I chalk that more up to the writing, not necessarily her performance overall. Do you do you want to get in specifics, or do you want to save it for a spoiler? Well, mm, it is sort of related to my whole feelings about how they handled T'Challa in general. So it, it's we can wait. Well, let's let's start off with uh, that here too. I mean, the opening fifteen minutes or so, um, the T'Challa, how, like how to deal with that? There is no body double. There is no CGI recreation. There is no recasting. Uh, T'Challa is completely off screen in the first 15 minutes of this film. And we get told that there is a unknown disease that is basically about to claim his life. And Shuri is frantically working to try and save him. And she doesn't. And we are then thrown into uh, this really gorgeously shot and conceived uh, funeral sequence uh, that once again just showcases the the ritualistic culture of Wakanda in a way that I just absolutely am fascinated by. And then we get the Marvel opening logos that are fully all Chadwick Boseman. And I don't know about you guys, but not a single, you couldn't hear a single sound in the theater when those logos came up. I mean, maybe I heard one person mutter, wow like under their breath, but mm-hmm. otherwise like complete chills uh, during that opening sequence. Yeah, that yeah. was, the, that was, that was the thing that moved me the most about uh, Chadwick. It, it was just such a wonderful, uh, respectful reminder of how much he meant to the MCU. Yeah. It was a great moment of silence for sure. Yeah. I, and I agree that it is effective, but it also goes into what I think is a, in my opinion, a fundamental flaw with the story. And look, I completely understand that the filmmakers were in a very difficult position. And it's like, how do you go forward when your main star not only dies, but dies so suddenly and so tragically and so publicly like that? And it's very difficult to kind of find a way to craft the story that acknowledges that, but also feels authentic and and realistic to what it is that you're trying to accomplish overall with your narrative. Yeah, because this isn't like Furious 7 where they had already shot sequences with like Paul Walker and they were able to use CGI and body doubles to kind of complete everything and blend it in as best as they could. Like they never had any footage of Chadwick for this. So I really do think given the circumstances, I was thinking about this a lot. I think that the way that they handled it was overall the best thing that they possibly could and i've been thinking about this so much in retrospect like 
you know, in television, I, you know, in television, they, they recast when situations like this uh, occur. What, what, what was the show again? Was it Spartacus? Yeah. The, where the main actor died. Yeah. I think it was Spartacus where the lead, the lead uh, died after the first season. And then they ended up like recasting him. You know, I, I was thinking so much about how they could have done that, but I don't know. I think it's a question that like, Maybe some people have an opinion on it. I feel like I will never know the answer to have a definitive stance on it. But I think given the circumstances in terms of just honoring best wishes of the family, uh, what was probably best for the story moving forward, and then also, too, how they all kind of tie it together at the end of the film, too, it made sense to me in the moment while watching the movie. Yes. Well, but here is here's sort of my counter to that decision, though, is... I think ultimately the movie ends up being a memorial to Chadwick Boseman and not to T'Challa. And I think that for me, as I'm watching the movie, it feels like I'm being asked to invest so much of my emotional attachment to how I saw the actor and not necessarily the character. Like the movie begins and we don't even, we don't see T'Challa. We just know that he's dying from something and he passes. And yes, we are we are remembering our own memories of hearing about Chadwick Wilson's passing and oh, we didn't even know he was sick. And we're we're thinking about all of that. But in terms of the movie itself, I feel like so much of the emotional impact of losing the character T'Challa feels missing to me because we don't have a lot of context about what was wrong with him and and what he was going through and what that really means for the overall narrative. It, It just feels like in their efforts to pay respect to the actor, and w- which I would say they did a very beautiful job in doing so, I think they actually did limit the impact a bit of their narrative because it sort of seems like I don't really get the full context of what T'Challa being out of the story means to all these characters. We have to infer that from people sort of telling us what it means. So, I, like I said, I do understand the decision to do it. It's a difficult thing either way, but. I, a part of me feels like not recasting this role and not really giving us the sequences that shows us what happened to this character ultimately means the story has a very kind of fundamental flaw in the foundation for me that as best as they try, it never really overcomes, in my opinion. Here's what I'll say to that. I think that the ramifications of the loss of T'Challa I do think they do address it in the movie. Questions of whether or not they address it well will vary, but I think that the Kingdom of Wakanda no longer having the Black Panther and uh, kind of being uh, leaderless at this current time, even though uh, Ramonda ascends to the throne as the queen in the meantime, I do like that that does open up the story for other world nations, the UN, and uh, just any hired guns, mercenaries in this case, to kind of then seize the opportunity to take the vibranium from Wakanda while it is vulnerable. I thought that was a logical um, a logical point that the story would go in in the aftermath of this. Now, the thing I do agree with you on, though, Josh, is I do think that keeping this so vague, what is this unknown disease? Why doesn't Wakanda have the technology to prevent this from happening when they seemingly have technology for everything else? I, I did find myself asking questions 
And at a certain point, I did have to like kind of just ask myself, all right, do you want to just let the movie whisk you away on the emotional like aspect and you want to forget all that? Or do you want to stay here and kind of poke holes in all of this? And I I made the decision early to kind of just let it take me because I once I realized that this was the opening and then the logos came up, I was like, okay. They did what they did. It's over. Let's get to the real meat of the story, which is Namor and everything else. And I kind of just left it behind. I did think his death or the press or the speaking of it was very rushed. Um, you know, they go from Shuri trying to save him to then, you know, the funeral. I thought it was all rushed. And yeah, I do agree with Josh about how you could feel more so Chadwick's loss than T'Challa, especially when, you know, they speak of him dying of a disease that no one really knew he had. But I do mm-hmm. think that through um, the performances, like Angela Bassett's and, and um, Letitia Wright, you can feel the loss of T'Challa through their performances, how she always talks about how um, Ramunda talks about how they no longer have their protector and she lost her son and stuff. But I do see what Josh is saying. And and I will certainly say that, like, through the performances, I definitely get that. And that's why I am praising so many members of this cast. But I just still feel like, because it's also the very first scene of the movie, which, yeah, it almost felt like, wait, are we missing something? We're right in this. And it just felt like the movie was relying so much on my relationship to the actor and not the character to carry mm-hmm. that emotion for me. I, I felt I could never really get over that hump and as much as the performances tried to get me there and i was very appreciative of that it still felt like that was embedded within the narrative the like the foundational elements of the narrative and that was something that i never really felt the movie could push aside and and i couldn't i couldn't really connect to it because of that for me i don't know if it's just because i am so emotionally like invested in her career and just want to see like her do well or what what it is necessarily but I was very disappointed, even though Letitia Wright and uh, Angela Bassett get so much to do here in the aftermath of T'Challa's death. I was disappointed that I felt like Lupita Nyong'o didn't get as much to do. There's like a big chunk of the story where she's not even there. And then when she finally does get introduced, um, I felt like she was still treated as so much of a supporting character in all of this that I, I, I... and, and and then it goes, you know, even worse after her, like with M'Baku and a few of the other characters where I just feel like they didn't get any character development at all, really. Yeah. Uh, it just felt very one-sided with Letitia and Angela Bassett. And I, and, I, and I get that. I understand that they are the two characters that are very close with the T'Challa uh, character in this. But I also felt Lupita Nyong'o uh, was uh, Nakia was also super close with him too. So I, I found the decision to not have her enter the plot until what forty minutes into the movie or whatever it was. I can't. I, I didn't exactly time it, uh, but I just felt like there was a missed opportunity to give her more to do in this. I agree. I wish I'd seen her more, but I feel like they give us reasons why she's not yeah. there more, which yeah. I appreciate. She's yes. not just not there to not be there or whatever. But yeah, I I really wanted Mbaku to get more to do as well. Right? Yep. Yeah. Just, like he, he's yeah. just kind of the tough guy. He shows up eating a carrot so aggressively, which got yeah. a great laugh in his introduction. <laughs> and he fights. 
And I don't know what else he does in this. <laughs> I do think we see like a softer side to him, especially when he's sort of, you know, telling Shuri, like, I promised your brother that I'd I forget what exactly he says, like, I'd be there for you or be your counsel or whatever, which I really liked. But yeah, otherwise, I feel like he didn't really get much to do. He's a wonderful character. And Winston Duke is such a good actor. It just feels like a waste of talent there. That's the thing, too, Mm -hmm. is that I feel like Winston Duke in the aftermath of Black Panther has had a lot of opportunities to show us, like, what he can do with us in nine days. And so... I wish they would capitalize on that and just give him a more fully fleshed out character here. Uh, granted, I think there will be obviously more to come from that character in future uh, future works. But at the same time, uh, you know, God, it's like, could we not have just cut all the Martin Freeman stuff from this movie? <laughs> oh, my God. The worst parts of this movie by far. Absolutely terrible. I, I, I you know, at first I didn't mind like. The introduction uh, of him running and listening to the music. And I was like, oh, Martin Freeman, because I think I speak for everyone here. We all love Martin Freeman. He's such a great screen presence, charismatic actor. He's funny as hell. But oh, my God, does he. And it's funny, too, because (laughs) I remember the first film, you know, the jokes online of like, okay, for once we have a movie where we have the token white guy <laughs> and and he really is the butt of so many jokes here. But at the same time, I kept finding myself wondering, okay, you, you've made him now into a joke of a character that we that like isn't really taken seriously by the audience. And yet he's supposed to have an impact on the plot. And I never really felt like his impact amounted to much i just kept thinking they could have exercised all of this i'm thinking like why is that why am i listening to a domestic couple squabbling in a kitchen exactly (laughs) and it's not funny that's the other thing that's maybe the bigger sin of it is that their banter is not amusing and it's not humorous at all so it just makes it seem like we are taking time away from the more important part of the story to go to these tangents that don't really add all that much to listen to banter that is very unfunny. It, it was the worst parts of the movie by far. Easily. And, okay, fine. Like, I, I can understand if you want to have, like, a stand-in character for the CIA and how that ties into the Vibranium, the United Nations story and all that. Fine. And you know what? I'm okay with Everett Ross, like, being that role. But I agree, like, then giving him standalone moments where he's not interacting with the characters from Wakanda and it's just him and Julie Louis Dreyfus. Nope. Sorry. Gone. Like, cut it out. Kill it with fire. <laughs> I don't want it. Now, Namor. God, I loved this character. I love Tenoch Huerta's uh, performance of this character and the introduction of uh, the underwater kingdom of Talakan, I thought was so fantastic. And I, I too, Tom, I felt so bad. I was like, wow, like everyone who worked on this movie thought they were really doing something special. And then Avatar The Way of Water is coming out in a month from now. And I just feel so bad for everybody. But at the same time, I admire so much the effort that I can tell was clearly put in to make this a step up from the first film in terms of uh, visual effects, cinematography, uh, just overall design. I- I've heard from some people, I- this wasn't the case at my screening, but I have heard from some people that the underwater sequences in Telecon were a little too dark. I don't know if that's a projection issue or what it was. I never got that. Um 
I thought visually everything about that uh, aspect of the movie was really stunning and a step up from the first film in a major way. And I also really appreciate like truly like this is something that I will always, you know, go to bat for. I loved the practical water effects and how well they seamlessly blended in with some of the CGI and some of the action sequences. It just added a sense of realism to what we were seeing on screen that I really liked. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the the whole aesthetics of that world, I thought were pretty incredible, even though I do think I did have a projection issue because some of the underwater and nighttime sequences did look very dark to me. But I I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt that it was just a projection issue on my part. Yes. Yeah. I saw I saw the, I saw a Dolby uh, screening and. I don't know if it was just the clarity and the brightness of the screen. I'm not exactly sure, but like I, I, I and I've seen people like I've seen, <laughs> you know, I've seen I've seen people take video footage and like a showcase. Hey, this is what we're seeing right now. And this is how crappy it looks. So I believe it. <laughs> but yeah. I, I don't know if that is, like I said, like a theater issue or if it's something else altogether. But maybe, I, like I said, I am willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh but I will also say that, yeah, Huerta is just amazing in this role. And he is that character is similar to Killmonger in that he's a villain who sort of has a point where you can kind of see where he's coming from. And it's like, but that makes the best villains. I mean, yeah, for sure. I'm just saying, like, I've heard but I've heard I, I've heard this brought up as a detriment by some people and as a criticism. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but um, like, aren't the best written villains the ones where you can understand their motivations? I wouldn't say it's like a criticism necessarily. I think it's just pointing out maybe a little repetition is all, but it's still a very compelling backstory. I don't uh, think that that's a badly written character. What I will also say, though, is I think that this performance of the villain is better than the first movie because I have a hot take where I don't think Michael B. Jordan is actually very good in the first Black Panther movie. <laughs> I kind personally. of agree with you on that too, yeah. I think Killmonger is wonderfully written, but yes. to be honest with you, I have never really liked Michael B. Jordan in that first film, and I hope stuff the supporting actor talk for him was a little ridiculous, but I think Huerta is so good in this role. Like He is very menacing, but he can also be charming as well, and you can see like you, like you said, you understand where that character is coming from. And I think that he embodies such a great screen presence where you're he's got this menace, but you also still want to listen into him. And I, I loved everything that he was doing, like him and Bassett are my two favorite performances in this film. Yeah. And I, I love his scenes with Letitia Wright, just the two of them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. The, there are there are, are several MCU films that shall go unnamed there where their villains are just the lamest and to have back-to-back great villains in this one, in this world is just kind of remarkable. And, but boy, they've really achieved it uh, with, especially now with the uh, work. But I, like I said, I think the reason why that is, is because they're complexly written. They're not written to be two dimensional, like just villainous characters. I want to take over the world or I want to destroy this kingdom or whatever the case might be. And I do think that those are the worst MCU villains, Tom. I completely agree with you on that. And so many of them are, are just so forgettable over the years. We're here. You can make a case that, you know, possibly down the road or whatever it is, like there would be a standalone version of this story where we would see the, everything from this character's perspective and he's the hero of everything. And I, I just really find that part of it to be uh, probably the best aspect in terms of the writing of it all. But 
I have heard some people complain about the writing of his motivations and what he's trying to do for the Kingdom of Telecon and how it is very similar to the first film. You know, it's like Killmonger and T'Challa were fighting over the fate of Wakanda in the first film and how to lead it into the future. And it was kind of like this Martin Luther King, Mar- uh, Malcolm X kind of uh, uh, of, uh, of uh, commentary, if you will, <laughs> that I, I really appreciated at the time. I really, really liked that a lot. And here, this is just a guy who wants to protect his people. And it, yes, it feels very logical that, you know, it almost makes you like compelled to shout at the screen and say, well, you know, Wakanda is not your enemy. They are not your enemy. Like, <laughs> stop treating them like they're your enemy. But he is just so, so hell bent on focusing on protecting Talakan and his people that he doesn't give a shit if they should be playing on the same side. Where to us as the audience, I think it is so apparent. Uh, but I also feel that way sometimes, too, just in terms of what we see play out in real life sometimes where colonizers of uh, anyone that is not uh, anyone that's not white, essentially, uh, sometimes there is this infighting that does happen. And it really, you know, you look at it and say to yourself, like, wouldn't it just be so much better for all involved to take that anger, that animosity and whatever it is that you're holding on to and project it in this direction instead? And I think that that plays out here in a way that I found to be both complex uh, while also uh, very narratively intriguing at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I found it quite not necessarily frustrating, but like maybe upsetting that they were fighting. I was like, y'all should be, you know, banding together against, you know, the evil white man. Exactly. But, uh, well, that's what he says. Like, that's <laughs> what he actually wants from Wakanda. It's, you know, it's Shuri who's like, eh, I don't know about this. Mm-hmm. And like, Well, because Wakanda's like in this mindset of like, we fight when we have to. Yeah. And you're looking, you're just looking for a fight. <laughs> yeah. Essentially. I mean, and, and for him, it's, it is back sort of to that trope of, you know, you're either with me or against me. Like there's only, you can't be neutral. So like, I understand his perspective from that point of view. There's also, I would say an act of aggression that he views from Wakanda during a certain part of the movie. And that motivates him more to to do this attack. So like, I understand that like from like the actual mechanics of the story are, they maybe a little forced at times, Sure, but I think big picture, I understood where those motivations were coming from, and I think because I liked that character and that performance so much, I was willing to to go with it. That was an aspect of the narrative that I was willing to sort of accept what they were doing despite some of the, the shortcomings and kind of the, the details of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he ultimately wants Wakanda to deliver uh, Ironheart uh, over to him because she's apparently the only person on the planet who has the capability of finding the vibranium under the water, which would then lead to discovery of Telecon. And I just kept asking myself, you killing uh, Riri uh, Williams here, Ironheart, Dominique Dorn's character, like, is that really the solution? Like, that's the only solution? Have you thought this through enough in terms of, like, what else could be done here? <laughs> it just, it, it did feel very forced and unnecessary at times uh but not in a way that it actually like destroyed like my enjoyment of the story i've just heard people using this stuff as 
criticism to say that the motivation is weak, the writing is flawed, and if that's the stance you want to take on it, all well and good. I totally understand it. I, I acknowledge these flaws, but it didn't like fully detract from the overall experience. But this is what contributes, I think, towards the film being, uh, from a writing standpoint, weaker than the first film. I agree with that. Yeah, like th- to me, those elements of the story are yeah what I would chalk up to like. You know, it's a comic book movie. Like, I mean, it's a, he's a comic book villain at the same time. And like, yes, are the motivations kind of broad and maybe not, they don't make a ton of sense in the grand scheme of things? Like, sure, but given the nature of the movie, like, that part of the story does not bother me as much. There's right. other elements that do, that one doesn't. I mean, they also give him those badass wings. And <laughs> I, I, I cannot tell you how much I thought visually at, upon first glance. Oh, this looks a little this looks a little weird. You know, it's like these little tiny little white wings on his ankles. And I was like, I don't know. But then when you see him in action and he's hopping around and destroying stuff in the air, I was like, oh, my God. Like and I, I, I overheard I I was on a Twitter spaces and I want to say it was Kevin Lee, I, 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 but I can't remember. I think it was Kevin Lee who mentioned uh, on a Twitter spaces that nobody ever makes a joke about uh, Namor. And because of that, even despite upon first glance, you look at it and go, oh, that looks a little that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> the fact that it's never made to be the butt of a joke, uh, that's what makes him such an intimidating and imposing, uh, powerful character. Uh, because when you see him in action, oh my gosh, like he's just got this superhuman strength and speed and agility and everyone from Telecon, like all these warriors that fight alongside him. I thought they were just such intimidating uh, foesness. And I really, really love the fight choreography that played throughout. I think that's one of the strengths of the uh, the series is that there's so much reliance on stunt guys. Mm hmm. It really feels much more real than um, CGI spaceships going around, which is usually Act 3 of MCU films. This, there were really stakes here, and I really appreciated that. And I think that if we had cut, you know, Everett Ross and Julia Reed-Dreyfus' scenes, we could have had more, um, I guess, development between, or more information between, like, who, like, he has a main lady by his side, but, like, who is she? You know what I'm saying? We yeah. could have learned more about because I think at one point he said she was his cousin, but you know they don't really specify. And I feel like she had a big role; like she should have mm-hmm. had a bigger role than she did. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that is left a little unexplored, uh, but I do think that that is deliberately so, which I don't want to get into until we get into spoilers here necessarily. Uh, but then there were also things too, like Michaela Cole is in this movie. Everybody. Isn't that, like, fantastic? I I love just seeing her here as a Wakandan warrior, but, like, the only thing I ever feel like I knew about her is that she prefers using knives instead of a spear. Like, I feel like that was the only character moment she was given in this entire film. (laughs) And it just goes back to the film, I think, just juggling way too much, and it just feels imbalanced in terms of, like, who gets screen time, who gets character development, and who does not. Yeah, I really wish Michaela Cole had more to do because like yeah you cast her and it's like that's so exciting to to see this big showcase for her and she's in like i don't know what three four scenes with barely anything to do that's very disappointing i i did like how they <laughs> i did like how they address the absence of daniel kaluuya in this film 
they just made it sound like, oh, he betrayed us in the first film and like you guys are no longer together anymore. <laughs> like he's gone. <laughs> um, but I, I, I did feel I, I did feel like this movie also missed a bit of Kaluuya as well. I, I wish that uh, we could have seen him pop up. But then I started thinking to myself, this movie already has too much going on. Like if you can axe a character, like do so <laughs> at this point. Because, yeah, the, just the imbalance of it all just felt like all over the place at times. Uh, the other thing I want to point out here, just from a craft standpoint, is um, the visual effects in the first Black Panther were criticized, especially during the uh, final act, uh, the battle between T'Challa and Killmonger. Um, that was a huge point of criticism that so much so that it I think that's what cost it the visual effects nomination in 2018. Here, I felt that the visual effects were substantially better than they were in the first film. I also thought the sound work was really well done. I especially love the way that the Telecon uh, uh, nation, there was kind of like this sonar um, effect that was used uh, in Ludwig Goranson's uh, score. And it, like the overall just soundscape in the movie, I thought was just so much better overall. And this is one where... You know, Josh, you were saying earlier, like, you don't really get Michael B. Jordan's performance from the first film. I don't really get the love for Ludwig Goranson's score for the first film either. But here, I thought that the score was just such a step up from the first film in terms of how grand and epic it sounded. And they also, like, incorporated aspects of the Telecon uh, nation into it in a way that gave it such a unique uh, sound to it. And I, I thought all of these areas felt like improvements to me from the first film. Sure. Yeah. And I think that much like the first movie's score, I think what elevates it is that it feels so specific to a a culture, even though these are all technically fictional places, they still feel like they have a real rich history to them. And I think that and I would even say that for the first movie, too, that it was able to really hone in on that. But I would also say that it probably feels even more specific here and i and i really did like the music as well uh the visual effects are a step up even though i think in the, even in the first movie i think the effects are still pretty good it's just that last scene that people had criticism for which they definitely did but i actually think that most of the, of the visual effects in the first movie are still okay they are a step up here it still looks a little rubbery in some instances but i kind of just feel like that's the nature of cg that we have to accept but overall yes i would say it is an improvement probably because this time they had more time and money. I mean, also too, so many of the big set pieces in this have a live action component to them. Yeah. The attack on Wakanda, you can tell that they are shot uh, on sound stages, but there are some practicality involved with obviously CGI backgrounds and things like that. But like I was saying earlier, the water effects, like some of these water explosions and things like that, that they're doing. I'm like, Oh, that's real water. Yes. I'm like, it yeah. looks so good. <laughs> Also love the concept of those like water grenades too. Yes. Yes, that's great. Oh, phenomenal! And in the third act too, uh, I and I don't want to give away so much like what it is, but having it all take place on this like very condensed, small little like space uh, added just such a, a claustrophobic sense of tension to it in terms of the enemies closing in, and I really really liked uh, that being the final. Uh, the final scene, if you will, and then the wire work too. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure, like some of the visual effects team were like, "Oh, we don't have to paint out wires for this." Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to also say too, like, I appreciate uh, the production design and the costume design in this film. 
maybe a little less so in the first film because I think in the first film it rightfully got uh, all the praise it absolutely deserved. There's a lot of repetition in this one. You know, we still get the same Wakandan sets. We still get the same costumes that we saw. I, the only real new additions to me feel like the civilization of Telecon. And I'm looking at it and I'm saying to myself, well, how much of that is all visual effects versus, you know, I, I understand there's got to be like conceptual art design to design all of this. But also, too, I do think that some of those underwater moments, um, because of the fact that it is primarily visual effects, to save on budget and time and things like that. They have to like sometimes make it deliberately a little murky and a little dark so it doesn't have so much detail and richness to it. At the same time, I still found it to be impressive, but I, let's just put it this way. I, I think the costume and the production design in this film are good, but I'm not as blown away by it as I was the first time around. Um, well, I don't know because that funeral those whites in the funeral. Oh, yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. That is breathtaking. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we see more of Wakanda this time around, just like street scenes, you know, people just hanging out and eating soup and selling stuff. I think mm -hmm. we didn't see that the first time around. So that was nice to see more of the city. Yeah. And I also think, too, the cinematography in this one is also pretty decent at times. Like there's some really good. Uh, moments where I, I, you know, the MCU gets criticized a lot for its visual style, and I will be first to jump in and say, yes, absolutely, and it annoys me to death sometimes. Uh, there are some other times where I do think that, you know, there are these moments where I'm not saying it's anything distinct or so creative that it would feel like it's at home in like a Terrence Malick movie or something like that, but there are some beautiful images. And I will give props where props are due that I think there are some sequences and some moments here in Wakanda Forever where the camera work, the lighting and just the overall feeling of the movie, especially this funeral sequence, which we just mentioned, it's absolutely breathtaking. Yeah, yeah there's some great imagery in here. I would say it's about on par with the first movie, though, sort of like with most of the crafts, as we have, have said, it's still very impressive. And you still get a lot of like really great detail in these shots that they are are showing us but i i will admit that maybe i wasn't quite as bowled over this time but i think that's always going to be hard because that first black panther did feel like such a breath of fresh air yeah especially with yeah. the mcu and at that time that it's just ultimately going to be very hard to top that right like i said i give ryan coogler all the credit in the world for trying i and the fact that he got this far with the project and it turned out to be just like I said, somewhat decent in the end. It's just like I give him all the respect and admiration. Uh, let's get over to spoilers at this point. I, I want to discuss uh, some of these uh, aspects. I think we've been dancing around here. So, uh, Josh, I, I want to start off with you, actually, uh, if you want to kick us off here. W what is a certain spoiler that you want to uh, touch upon? Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture. 
from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. Well, one big one, I think, is the return of Killmonger. I, yes. I, I think that's definitely it, which was a surprise because it, I think the movie very successfully subverted our expectations of who Shuri was going to see when uh, you know, she went under and was having the vision. And I, I liked it. I thought that that one scene with him was much better than anything he did in the first movie, to be <laughs> honest with you. I kind of agree. Um, I also really, really loved where it took Shuri's character. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. I I really thought that the character work here in terms of the stages of grief and it leading to despair, it leading to anger, hatred, vengeance, and then this emotional catharsis at the end when she's fighting Namor on the beach – you know, in retrospect, I should have seen where it was all going, but there was a part of me that had my, um, you know, my, my belief was suspended uh, for a little bit. And I was just kind of like lost in the moment, not knowing exactly what else they were going to do to possibly subvert my expectations. And I like that I, you know, forgot what kind of a movie I was watching for even a brief second. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a sign of good storytelling right there. And I, I as you said, you can still probably see where they're going, even with the subversion. But the fact that that was introduced really did establish like a different layer to maybe what her character arc was going to be. And it right. complicated her journey. And that was a decision that I thought was very beneficial for these characters. And uh, yeah, and even though it resolved in kind of a predictable way, I still liked the establishment to begin with. And I, and I did... I did very much appreciate that inclusion. And yeah, and Jordan's presence in that too, I thought was also menacing and captivating. And I, I love the scene between the two of them. Like, yeah, it was, it was very well done. There was also a rumor going around too that possibly Michael B. Jordan would be the new Black Panther. Uh, and that was a huge question that was on everybody's minds in the lead up to the sequel is who's going to be the new Black Panther? Shuri was always the obvious choice, and Shuri was the one that I'm pretty confident, like, most of the fandom knew it was going to be before they even revealed it in the marketing material, because they kept it very vague initially until, I think, it was the second trailer that came out that revealed the Black Panther suit, and you could clearly tell it was a woman's body. But then when Killmonger was introduced in this sequence here, I was like, are we going to have two Black Panthers? Is there going to be a, like, is Killmonger coming back? Like, what's going on right now? Like, I had all of these questions going through my mind. And to, but but the way he was utilized, like you said, Josh, to push Shuri's character forward uh, in a very interesting and complex way, uh, I, I thought it was extremely well executed. And I have no issues whatsoever with her being uh, the, the Black Panther of this movie. Even though, Kevin Feige and everybody else made it very clear in the post credit sequence. Uh, there will be uh, T'Challa the second. I, I don't know how they're going to refer, but <laughs> there is going to be a, 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 an eventual an eventual recasting of T'Challa. It seems like I like also that um, it also suggests that, yes, she becomes Black Panther, but she may not actually be queen of Wakanda. Like she is going off to forge her own path because at the end. 
Winston Duke is like, I'm challenging to be king or whatever. So I'm like, oh, so she's not going to take on that mantle, but she's taking on this one. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Did M'Baku like suddenly become the king of Wakanda? I don't know. Seems like it. I'm pretty sure so if nobody challenged him for it. I mean, I'm all about it. It's what he deserves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm all for more Winston Duke in this role going forward. Like, please. But, and that's why I kind of sort of forgave the lack of character development for M'Baku in this one, because I was like, okay, clearly there's going to be another Black Panther. Clearly they'll have another opportunity to explore this character more. Uh, because I did walk away from it, you know, with a sense of, okay, M'Baku's now the king of Wakanda. in whatever next iteration we ever see these you know, characters in this world in, and that will be the time to give him more of a showcase, I think. Yeah, Maybe yeah. I'm wrong, but... I just wish that he wasn't used as comic relief in this one, because it kind of undermines his stature, as, you know, as soon to be king. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I mean, and that's a problem the MCU has all the time, is that they make jokes out of everything, and it does devalue the seriousness of these characters sometimes. Yeah, and and, and I also think that with them introducing... T'Challa's son. Um, I I don't know how I feel about that at this moment. And I think it's just also because once again, this is an element that just we as an audience don't have, at least from my perspective, just don't have that much familiarity with. And his relationship with Nakia also was like, I remember it from the first movie, but I do not remember it being quite so strong in the first movie either. So it just felt like one, it was another element that I was being asked to invest a lot of emotion into that I don't know was that well established previously. I, I will say that as disappointed as I was that Lupita Nyong'o was not featured as much in this movie, the fact that the reason why her character was kept off screen was for this reveal, I was like, okay, at least there's like a narrative reason why she was withheld a lot from this. But was it a strong reason? Like, was it a good enough reason is the other question. I, I yeah. hear you. I totally hear you on that. And I don't know because I don't have familiarity with the comic books. I don't know if this is supposed to be a new character or if they are using it as a way to kind of get them out of a really tricky situation where they do now have an opportunity to have like a time jump maybe in the future and cast a new actor as T'Challa. I don't know if anyone will ever like that. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what their intentions are, but I think what they've done is they've set them up to, you know, they've set themselves up to be able to do a couple of different things if they want to. Sure. I think it's just that my bigger problem is that, like, once again, this is something I don't think was that well established. Like, I admittedly, I have not watched the first Black Panther in its entirety in a while, but, like, I remember T'Challa and Nakia having banter with each other. Like, they, it did seem like they were very friendly, but I never really got this, like, deep romance between them. Was that there, or am I just misremembering? No, it was there. It just was, like, not overt. Like, listen, yeah. you can totally look at the yeah. two of them and be like, oh, they've definitely fucked. <laughs> y- you could definitely tell. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the vibe I got, but, like, that you are madly in love to the point where, like, you have a child and you feel that that means a lot to you. Like, I... I you could also infer that there's enough established that in the years since the first film, maybe their romance grew more. Yeah, but that's off screen. I like I I'll give points for stuff that happens off screen if you don't sure. establish it yeah. well enough for me. Okay, and it's it's uh, set up that uh, at least everyone seems to imply that uh, Nikki has been away for six years. Yeah, 
Um, I'm, I'm having trouble with the timeline on this because. Welcome to the MCU, Tom. Oh, yeah. that's right. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Was she away or how did, how did uh, uh, T'Challa 2 meet Queen Ramonda? Because they, I believe they said that, that there was other people knew of the existence of the child and it was kept from Shuri. I was like, wait a minute. You know, it's a, it was like uh, the revelation was like, oh, wow. And then it's like, wait, how does this work? Is <laughs> the credits roll. And it's meant to be like a very, you know, sweet moment. And I do think, once again, kind of like the opening to the film. At a certain point, you have to ask yourself, do you want to keep asking all these questions and focus in on that and let it take away from the emotional experience that they're trying to take you on? Or do you want to kind of just throw your hands up in the air, let it all go and let it just take you away? Because I do think that the way they end this movie and with the Rihanna song playing over the credits and everything, it is very moving. And shit, I I couldn't help it. I I got I got teary eyed uh, by the end of the film. I actually held off on it all throughout this movie. But by the end, they, they finally got me as the credits were rolling. Uh, so, you know, I, and I understand yeah. that. Is it a bad, is it a bad thing? And I completely understand that for sure. But as I said in the earlier parts of this review, I think that there is a difference between honoring T'Challa and honoring Chadwick Boseman. I, I just will always see that as a fundamental difference. And while I can be very moved at this memorial to what Chadwick Boseman's legacy was to this movie, I just don't think that translates to the character itself and the attempts to get me there, I think are relying on my relationship with the actor and not the character. And as much as I may be personally moved by my memories of Bozeman in this role, I feel like when it comes to the actual character and his involvement and and his impact on this story, that just feels so much lessened to me. And because of that, I feel a distance with what they're actually trying to accomplish with how I'm supposed to be feeling about the loss and the legacy of this particular character. It's tough too, isn't it? Because Civil War, he was a introductory supporting character. Then we get Black Panther. Infinity War, we get a little bit more of him. And then he only shows up in Endgame for the one moment towards the end, right? So we never really did get to spend, unfortunately, much time with T'Challa when you really break it down compared to some of the other MCU characters who have had multiple standalone films. So I kind of see what you're getting at there, Josh. I Like, I do. Like, I, I, I understand the perspective, but I, I personally didn't feel that way. And I'm sure it works for many other people. It's just that for me, as I was watching it, I just couldn't, I couldn't get over that intellectual roadblock for me where... I, from a strictly storytelling perspective, that the, everything that involves the emotional impact of T'Challa just felt like it was using a shortcut to Chadwick Boseman. And while I completely understand that decision and it's sort of hard to avoid it, it just, to me, felt like it undercut a lot of the, ultimately, how much impact I could really feel from the loss of this character because they were kind of using our connection to to things outside of the movie to get us there. And I've heard people complain too that the conflict with Namor and the passing of T'Challa, it, it feels like two different movies and people don't feel like they should have gone together. I don't understand that criticism. I understand like wanting to cut out all the other extra, let's set up these other connected storylines in the MCU. Like that I understand. But I do think that 
the passing of T'Challa and how it is used to push the characters forward uh, in this conflict with Namor, and then how especially with Shuri in particular, that resolves itself by the end. I I thought it was extremely well done. Uh, the only thing that I did take question with was I I felt like man Angela Bassett in this movie she is so freaking good in every single scene that she's in. So much so that when we got to that throne room scene, I was like, oh my god, Angela Bassett's going to get a supporting actress nomination for this movie. Incredible. I kind of think of the same. Yeah. <laughs> but then unfortunately, her character also gets killed here and this is the one instance in the movie where i kind of felt like this was a part of the original script and it carried over and i started thinking to myself oh well now they're i think they're doing too much now to shuri to push her towards like this path and i almost felt like because the presence of T'Challa's passing lingers all over this movie. Having then another major character also die, it felt uh, cheapened and a little bit weaker as a result because there was so much emphasis placed on T'Challa's death in this movie that then to throw another character and one that we are so emotionally invested in because goddamn, like Angela Bassett is just crushing it in this movie. Um, I did feel the loss of, just going back to something that you were saying there, Josh, I felt the loss of Angela Bassett in terms of her presence as an actress in this movie, but I didn't really then get the uh, emotional loss of the character overall as much. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but like, no, no, I I do think that it does feel like there's a one too many things on Shuri's plate at that moment. And as you said, when the, the shadow of Tatala's death just lingers over every aspect of this movie. When you then introduce uh, the queen dying as well, it, it does seem a little bit much. And yeah, then we don't get any more Angela Bassett. And it just feels like that's a big loss, just just in general to the enjoyment of the movie, because I just want to see more of her because she's great in this film. And I do think the movie kind of loses something special when that character exits as well. I agree. Yeah. Two funerals was like a lot. For me, that's yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. But also, I think it's interesting how her death also ties into like Namor's mother's death and how their reactions to them, like Shuri and his reaction and what they do um, as a result of that, is yeah. very similar. And I think that was it. It ties. It tie. It's just universally saying how grief makes people no matter where you're from react the same way kind of thing and I did like that but yeah it was it I feel like I had no time to really process her death yeah yeah Yeah. like I I didn't mind it because once again I recognized that it was probably something from the original script that carried over but having to deal with two major character deaths like that I just I, I couldn't help but get the sense that the loss of Ramonda was one that we, we were still processing the other death. <laughs> like, like we didn't have time to process the second one, you know? So, but also too, like from a, from a selfish awards standpoint, I was also like, Oh, she's one scene away, one yeah. scene away. <laughs> you know, if she had a quiet scene to balance out the uh, throne room scene, well, there's the beach scene. Yeah. 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 No, you don't think so. No, no, I, I don't know whether it's enough. That's what I'm saying is that like I, I feel like, you know, we're not at the awards point here, but I'll, I'll just say like 
she was one or two scenes away from really being a, a, a supporting actress player. And I, and I think there will be some people here or there that will throw her a mention when we get to the precursors, maybe. But it's not enough. I don't, I don't think she's going all the way to any kind of an act, uh, Oscar nomination for this. All right. Well, that's, um, I guess, a good segue to get into awards prospects here. Unless if anybody else has any uh, anything else they want to say for spoilers. I think I'm good. Yeah. Okay, good. So final thoughts on Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Anything that we did not mention that you want to mention here? We'll go to Tom first. I think we covered most things. I was just, um, I'm just really, was really struck by uh, how Tanash uh, Huerta is so different than many of the other actors who've been cast in 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 the in the MCU, there is something about him that is so charismatic, and the fact that he was so unknown that it I, it, it gave the film an element of discovery to me that uh, I didn't really expect. Oh, this is a star-making role, and I'm so so happy to see it go to uh, in this case like a Mexican actor. Someone that is representing like that community like that. I mean, this guy's career is made from this now, and that's really, really cool to see. And I, I know that he's acted before. I know he's not a newcomer. You know, he's been in a couple of movies in Nombre, you know, Guados, great movie. Yeah. But like to American audiences. Psh, yeah. Th- th- this guy, this guy's career is made now. Yeah. And that's really cool. I hope he gets the chance to do something else outside of the MCU. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Look how many uh, look how many careers the MCU has made over time. True. Letitia Wright being one of them. All right, Sarah Clements. Um, going off to- uh, Tom's point, I just really like how they really committed to casting um, Mesoamerican actors for the telecon um, people, which I think was you know, very nice to see. It felt more just authentic, authentic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It felt more authentic. Um, and also this is just a stupid final thought, but like, I love how they were holding the coffins. Like there was no body in it. Oh, they just, <laughs> <laughs> they made no effort to like, really like hold it properly. And I was just like, y'all, <laughs> there was it was never on their shoulders they're just holding it with their hand like and walking well, they're so down. strong it, it, they're so strong way? it just is like it, it feels guess. like there's nothing in there t'challa <laughs> just weighs two pounds mbaku would lift it with his like his pinky finger yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, man those are, those are my thoughts josh uh the only thing that i would say here at the end is that um if Tenoch Huerta came up to me and said, you want to burn the world down? I would say I got matches right here. <laughs> <laughs> How much did you enjoy the fact that like every single scene he's in, he's half naked? Honestly. Oh, my God. Like, I mean, look, great performance, but I, you know, I got working eyes, too. So, yes, very uh, another great aesthetic to this movie. <laughs> I mean, overall, the movie is still enjoyable i did like it i have significant problems with the story this time around but it's still good it was very entertaining it does get you emotionally in a lot of places but i think that unlike the first movie this one fell victim to more of the usual marvel bloat and that was 
disappointing to me. And also, as I said, the way that they did handle T'Challa's passing, I think could have been better executed or or even still was just sort of like a fundamental flaw that I, I don't know if the movie really overcame for me. But I still found myself invested in it overall. There's still a really a lot of really good elements to it, but it it is definitely a weaker follow-up, I would say. All right. I have a couple of final thoughts here. Um for one, I really like the backstory for Namor and also like the meaning of his name. I really like that he's referred to as a god by his people. There was just a lot of really good introductory character work there that I really appreciated. Um, Another thing I would like to point out is how the... Just like some of the jokes in this movie, I I don't know about you all, but did you find them to be funny? I... I kind of went back and forth a lot on some of them. I thought the one joke that I laughed the most at was probably when I, I think it's uh, Denai uh, Guerrera when she says, iPhone, so primitive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that might have got, that might have gotten me the most, I think. I actually did like all the humor in the uh, the scene where they did go to get Riri at, at college. I thought that that was the most successful comedic bits. Like they were kind of obvious jokes, but they worked for me in the moment. Sometimes I just think the MCU is working too hard to try and make it funny, you know? And yeah, here I, I felt that a little bit more than I did with the first film where I felt, I thought the first film felt a little bit more natural with a lot of its comedy. Sure. I mean, like I said before, the, all that stuff with Martin Freeman and Julia Louis Dreyfus, like painfully unfunny. Yeah. Yeah. God, all right. Uh, what else we got here? Oh my God! Can we please talk about Okoye's uh, suit in the third act and how terrible it looked? Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> I was waiting to see where you were going with this. I was like, mm. it looked so bad. I I yeah. I hated it. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know if it was because of the visual aesthetic with it uh, contrast against like the blue sky and the ocean. I don't know what it was, but it just did not have the impact that I think that they were hoping for upon its grand reveal. I think it's the, those like eye holes that look just so mm-hmm. big and googly. It just, uh, it, yeah, I was not a fan of, of that. No, nah. it, it didn't stand out like the red. No, the red looks great. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if it was red, it would, I think she would look like a lobster. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, what else I got here? Um, I, I did appreciate that this felt like a more globetrotting sequel. Like, if, I, I felt like we visited more places. There were so many points in the movie where we were in a new new location. You get the title card saying where we are. Did you guys get a sense of that, that this felt like more expansive than the first film? I, I don't know if I necessarily got that personally. Like, I guess we did visit more places, but those places still kind of looked the same yeah (laughs) like it didn't really feel like there was much variety in terms of the actual locations themselves and how they look like maybe like i said we did go to more different places but i don't know if they really stood out to me to feel that unique yeah it's it's sort of like you know they'll they'll have a title card oh virginia and it's two people in an office (laughs) i I, I don't think they use the locations very well uh, okay. And then the other thing I'll say too, I, I want to just like mention this again. I think the fight choreography is so incredibly well done in this movie. Yeah. I and 
Yeah, uh, everything from the beach scene to the scene on the bridge, uh, everything with the uh, Telecon warriors. Uh, like, I really, really enjoyed the action in this film. E- even the um, motorcycle chase sequence, because remember the first chase sequence in Black Panther where he's like doing flips on the cars and things like that. I really loved the practicality of how they shot like the chase sequence uh, in this movie too. You know, but then once you start introducing some more elements, like, you know, the Iron Heart suit and things like that. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, it just, it, it, it loses something for me every single time. And that's why, like, Josh, when you mentioned, like, the water grenade stuff earlier, like, yes, the initial explosion, clearly CGI. But then when they cut to a nu- the next shot and you see its actual, like, practical water, uh, like, f- however they create the effect and you see it, like, just destroying like the throne room and all this stuff it's like it just looks phenomenal (laughs) it looks (laughs) so good so really really love all of that uh overall for me um i probably would have originally have given this a seven out of ten uh but the film did eventually make me cry by the end so I'm going to give it an 8, albeit it's a very weak 8. I do not think it is as strong as the first film overall, but I do think that there are certain areas where it is stronger. Acting, the score, the sound work, fight choreography, visual effects. Uh, And yeah, I I agree too. Um, I I like Killmonger in terms of like the, the way that that character is written, but I was really equally as intrigued by Namor, maybe even a little bit more so than I was uh, with the first film. So overall, not an improvement, maybe not even equal at times, but some elements a little bit better. Sarah, what about you? Um, I would give it a very high seven, but I feel like on repeat viewings, it could go up to a to an eight. Okay. Or a high eight. Mm-hmm. Tom? I would probably give it a mid seven. Um, there are some elements, as you have mentioned, Matt, that are better, uh, but the narrative bumps and the uh, intrusion of the MCU where we could have lost it very easily just kind of got in my way of that. Yeah. Josh? I am also going to land at a 7 out of 10. I enjoyed it, but with some reservations, with not enough for me to say it's a bad movie. It's a good movie. It was entertaining to watch, but definitely has some structural problems that are hard to overcome. Okay, I've been waiting to get to this part of the review now for a bit here, because I think that the conversation around this film with its awards prospects is actually really fascinating in a number of ways. I'm going to start off by saying that I do not believe that this movie is going to match the awards run that the first film had. I'm pretty confident in saying that. Would you all agree? Yeah, 100% would agree. Yeah. Okay. So once we've conceded to that, uh, this is where I'm currently leaning today in terms of overall, like just prospects. I don't think that this is in the hunt for a Best Picture nomination. I think in order for a sequel to get a Best Picture nomination, it needs to have such a general consensus that it is far superior to the first film. Like in this case, how people feel about Top Gun Maverick compared to the first Top Gun movie. And we're not getting a sense of that here with Black Panther Wakanda Forever. So I think picture is off the table. But because the crafts of this movie, I think, are such a step up, I do think that this movie could pick up nominations where the first film uh, didn't. 
and maybe even repeat some of them. So just going like down the line here, I, I think all of these are in play to some degree or another. Costume design, makeup and hairstyling, production design, score, song, sound, visual effects. Not saying it's going to get all of them, but I think that that's what we're playing with here. Yes, I would definitely agree with that. I do wonder if, I mean, because this is a sequel and maybe there will be a feeling of kind of been there, done that with some of these categories. I do. I worry how much that will impact it getting into a final five in some of these groups. I agree. That's why I I think as of today, when I look at my own predictions, let me uh, just pull them back up here. Like, I'm pretty sure I don't have this repeating in some areas where it even won the first time around. Like, I think I have it nominated in areas where <laughs> it didn't win. So I'm pretty sure. Let me just make sure I got this correct here, because I, I don't think I have it in for costumes, production design or for score, which of the three Oscars it won. <laughs> uh, but I think I have it in everything else. Let me just double check. So costume design. No, I do have it in for costume design. I mean, do you think the telecon design is enough to get it in for costume design again? I don't know. Like, I would have thought that Ruthie Carter would just be a name check now, but yeah. it's not been consistent for her. Like, her cheating it in for Dolomite, <sighs> that was shocking to me. I so, agree. Yeah. I don't know what her relationship with the branch is now. Mm hmm. I think missing for Dolomite is right now she has the push of a major studio. And she is a, she is a star. Uh, and I think there's enough different. And also, I mean, you know, as I mentioned before, the funeral thing uh, scenes are just so stunning with the color the use of the white and that I, I can see um, them name checking. I'm kind of bearish on the um, Oscar prospects, though. I really only have it in in song and visual effects. I have visual effects. I have song for Lift Me Up by Rihanna uh, and I have the costume design repeat. That's yeah, those, all I have right now. Okay. Everything else is it's a, it's in the ten, but it's not in the top five. Yeah, I, I think I'm willing to agree. I, I've mentioned before with production design, unlike costumes, that is a category that doesn't really go outside of the very like top heavy best picture contenders a ton. So I I think that with this movie not really being in that conversation anymore, that it doesn't really stand a good shot to get the repeat nomination for production design and score. I mean, who knows? It's, it's sort of weird with whatever that branch does, but I would be kind of surprised if it got nominated again and visual effects. I, I, there's always a Marvel movie in here and I feel pretty confident that this will be at least one of them that will be nominated. Do you think the avatar, the way of water of it all though hurts black Panther getting in for visual effects? I think just so. in terms of the underwater stuff. Yeah. I think Avatar is sort of a unique thing on its own because, like, let's be real, that category is going to be Avatar winning this in a walk and there's going to be four also ran. So, yeah, I, I kind of feel like, like I said, Avatar is sort of in a whole different category on its own. And I think just the nature of this being a Marvel movie, there's usually a lot of admiration for them in this branch or at least for the artists working on them. I think that might be enough to push it over because we all know it's not going to win anyway. That's the other thing, too, is that there's been so much more publicity as of late about the way Marvel does treat its visual effects artists that I do wonder if that would have a positive or negative effect on it possibly being nominated here. Because on one hand, the nomination uh, could be an endorsement of the way that uh, they're treated. 
But on the other hand, it could also be seen as, no, we want to recognize these artists for, you know, their work and overcoming uh, the mistreatment. So I don't really know how they yeah, would interpret I mean, that. I would also say that the issues with Marvel treating their visual effects artists badly is not a new phenomenon. I mean, especially if you are in that industry, that has been... No, but it's more public now than it's ever been before. I mean, sure. I guess my point is that it's not like for the industry that is new information and that they have still nominated Marvel movies. So yeah, I, I do think that it being more publicized now is a question mark, but I think the branch may still respect the artists behind them enough to want to nominate those movies. I mean, I was talking about this the other day with somebody. I think there is a world where this movie only gets in for the song and that's it. Mm, probably. Yeah. I mean, we also didn't really talk about the song all that much, but do we think it has the potential to win? I think the moment they said it's a tribute to Bozeman that immediately shot it up near the top for a lot of people. Uh, as a standalone listen, I don't think it's really anything that special. Truly. I yes, don't. Fine. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not really that in love with it. But <sighs> here's the thing. They fucked up in, in 2020 with the best actor announcement for Bozeman, right? I almost feel like they could make good on that by giving this song the win here and in allowing for them to get up on stage and mention Bozeman's name and how this is in tribute to him. And it would be a nice moment. Like, don't you guys feel that that's where this is all going? It could be, you know, but engaging who's going to win. I'm thinking the Gaga song is in a best picture contender. I, I hear you on that. And I, I do agree. <laughs> I, I do agree. A category where you don't necessarily need a best picture nomination to win, though. Correct. So, yeah, I mean, it's a contention, I would say, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And Ludwig Goranson, like, like I said before, I feel that he actually deserves to get in more this time around <laughs> than even the first film. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he couldn't get in for Tenet. And this goes back to something that... Uh, Josh, you were saying earlier, too, like, I don't know how much in the club he really is. Yeah, because score particularly can be very clicky. And like he did previously win. But well, you also have to remember, like the, the campaign for Tenet was very fraught. So that's <laughs> the true. Nominations it did get were kind of a miracle. And you know what? He's also in contention to get a song nomination, too, for Turning Red. So there is that. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's so difficult to know where original score is going to go because there's such a peculiar branch, but I would definitely put him in the 10. I don't know if I would have him making the final five at this moment, but he won for the last movie. I mean, that alone means that you have to consider it. Oh yeah. I think I have him at number, uh, I have him at number eight right now. I would need to see some really heavy precursor support to convince me otherwise. Mm hmm. I might as well bring it up, even though I know the answer is probably no. But let's just talk about it for a second. Angela Bassett, supporting actress. I don't think no. so. No, I have her at number 10. Yeah. I mean, I would be mad if she did make it. in. Oh, I would be so happy if she did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it would be very worthy. But man, performances in like genre movies are always in a tough position. Like, I mean, Dune got so many nominations and they couldn't get a single actor in, you know, so. Yeah, I just think it's always going to be very difficult. And when this movie already is not going to really be in the best picture conversation, I don't think that is just going to make it even harder. So I don't really see her making it in. It, if it was a different um, uh, 
if she had a different presence in the in the she, her presence is great as long as she's there um and she has the actress has a story of being overdue you know 30 years overdue um but it just doesn't feel right from here no i i completely agree uh, this also kind of translates over to SAG. Uh, even though this won SAG Ensemble in 2018 for the original film, I even with the praise for the cast here in terms of how great they do, I, I, I do question if they're even in contention to get a nomination this year. I think it's only nomination there will be for stunts. Yeah. I agree. It, like I said before, I think the minute that the reviews came out and the general consensus was it's good, it's not as good as the first – that just immediately killed like any above the line awards buzz for this movie. Yeah, I, I just don't think it's in the same position. And also remember with the first Black Panther, that movie came out in February. It had a whole year to build up that narrative and really surprise people. And I just don't think that momentum is here with this one. I think overall people still like the movie, but I don't think it's in the same category as the first film. No, I, I would not be upset if any of the, crafts that we've mentioned here got in no um i think they're all worthy to some degree or another uh so if it gets in for sound if it gets in for score costumes whatever whatever the case might be i'll turn around and say yeah no it deserves to be here i'm not mad yeah for sure all right any other thoughts anybody i think that's pretty much the road ahead for this movie in terms of its awards potential yeah all right well that'll do it here for our review of black panther wakanda forever Sarah Clements, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mildred Spears. Josh Parham? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And Tom O'Brien. And you can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.